Welcome back to another episode of the Gifted Performance Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to like the video and subscribe for future content. For more information about our one-on-one coaching and other training or nutrition options, visit giftedperformance.com. Our newest feature, the Gifted Express, offers premium programming for bodybuilders, powerlifters, Olympic weightlifters, and lifestyle clients for only $30 a month. Enjoy the video. We'll see you on the next one. And as always, stay gifted. Ho, ho, ho. Welcome back to another episode of the GPP. It's November, so that means it's Christmas season. And you can comment below if that pisses you off. Work still. Gonna bring you the knowledge and practical takeaways to improve your own general physical preparedness. Q&A episode. We are missing Jason, so we brought in A Plaza. Anthony, how does it feel to be here? Um, are you nervous? Do you even have no. the energy to be nervous anymore? Anthony nope, is six weeks out from national. He's five and a half. Five and, five and a half. half. Five and a half. <laughs> yeah, big difference there. Five and a half. Five and a half weeks yeah. of, well, no, like four and a half weeks of suffering left. Can you make it? Can he do it? No. No. <laughs> By the time this episode comes out, Anthony will have passed away. I won't make it. God forbid. What? <laughs> <laughs> Anthony's already getting questions. It's like not the time the to joke like, about that. <laughs> hey, man. Yeah. Victor well, Anthony's not 290 pounds. And yeah. 48 years old, so I think he's definitely not 290 pounds. Definitely not. Definitely but not. one day, one day, right? Maybe a 290 pound Anthony. I don't think is a good look for you, man. I don't I'd think be, that's. Uh, I don't think that's never a bad time I to joke about death <laughs> on the uh, 700 pound life, the 400 pound life. And it's just me and Maria taking care of you. It's me like yeah. rolling you in and out of bed, and Maria's like cleaning out your fat folds. Yeah. Oh my god! It takes a team. It takes a team. That's All right, let's answer some questions today. Our first question comes from Sheena Sheffield. Sheena Weena, one of my favorite Instagram <laughs> names. That's her Instagram name. Oh, so I got her. I got her application when we first started working together, and it was like Instagram Sheena Weena. Accept, accept application immediately. I already love this person. I don't know anything about them, uh, but Sheena asks, "What is everyone's obsession with growth hormone?" So not only, I think when we first read this question, we were thinking like exogenous use of growth hormone, which I think some people are obsessed with, but there's also an obsession around growth hormone with like the intermittent fasting people. Like, oh, if you fast, growth hormone increases by X percent. Thus, fasting is, you know, good for boosting growth hormone. So when you guys look out into the fitness stratosphere, do you see this obsession with growth hormone? And what do you think is at the root of that? It's in the name. <laughs> hormone? It's in the name. And it's it's gotta make you huge, dude. It's called growth hormone. That was always funny. People were like, when like Barry Bonds and McGuire were like cranking home runs left and right, they were like, Oh, it's all the growth hormone they're taking. Really? It's not the anabolic steroids that they're taking. It's the growth hormone. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Well, you know, growth hormone is like super expensive. So people think it's the better stuff. Oh, that's true. You know, so, you know, it's not as expensive as it used to be. Depends on who you're talking to. Relatively expensive (laughs) still. (laughs) In the Depends on PEDs. what doctor is prescribing it for you, because that's the only way you should be using it. Yes, <laughs> I like where the, I like where this guy's going. Buy the books. 
So what are what are some of the mechanisms by which growth hormone works in the body and some things like reasons why people may be obsessed with it? You hear all sorts of claims, you know, it can keep your body fat lower. It can, you know, improve skeletal muscle growth. It helps with injury recovery, things like that. Yeah. Are these the reasons why people are so obsessed and seeking it out as an enhancement or from the doctor? Yes. Yeah. It's a little poorly understood, though, I think, like... I think what people, so growth hormones sort of acute role is in like substrate utilization, right? So acutely it liberates some fat, it spares protein, and then a little later down the chain, it's spliced into a variety of growth factors that have like a, a lot of different roles in the, in, in different tissue throughout the body. So like, people who I guess don't just don't know much about growth hormone because there's a lot of myth around it, right? Like, Oh, uh, growth hormone, it, it can keep you shredded. It'll make you huge. And, and, and things that are a little, uh, I don't know. What, what is it like over things that are, things that are overstated, I guess. The, the growth hormone can make you huge one. It's one that I think people really, really misunderstand. Yeah. Because growth hormone itself, to my knowledge, plays no role in skeletal muscle protein synthesis. It's the downstream family that I, that IGF and super family of GH that are actually contributing to muscle growth. Correct? Yeah, I mean, there, there's an aspect of also maybe uh, addressing like protein breakdown and decreasing that. Um, but yeah, I think mo most of the, I mean, muscle tissue does have like growth hormone receptors, but a lot of the potential anabolic effects are, do come back down to like IGF-1, mechanical growth factor. And there, there are also even just a bunch of other growth factors that like nobody talks about, or a lot of people probably don't even know about, yeah. you know? Yeah. I like to tell people growth hormone makes makes uh, very baby sized muscles and anabolics mature them yeah i can dig that so sorry do, excuse me I'm i think also where a lot of the stuff. a lot of i guess the allure comes from is that it sort of seems like growth hormone became a bigger deal in bodybuilding around the time that bodybuilders sort of uh just really escalated in, in body weight. Yeah. Did you say so that like correlated a... with the AIDS pandemic too? Because they started what? prescribing so growth saying... hormone for a lot of AIDS patients. Oh. And a lot of AIDS what? patients realized how much they could sell their growth hormone for and stop taking their medication because they could sell it for so much. Yeah. Fun yeah. fact of the day. That's a great <laughs> no, fun sure. fact. Make that the clip right there. What did we talk about on this week's podcast? AIDS. AIDS. And growth hormone sales, entrepreneurial spirit, right there. I mean, just like vets selling, uh, it's definitely a vets thing. Vets were selling um, trend, trend, trend cartridges for a long time. Yeah, the pellets, pellets. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what about the what about the negative sides of growth hormone? Well, yeah. insulin resistance for one. <laughs> Yeah, I think people talk a lot about, you know, the the positive sides of that, the 
possible muscle growth, you know, repair of connective tissue and all of those are, you know, in a therapeutic dose really going to benefit. But when you start to exit those therapeutic and you enter the performance dosages, yeah, you can run into insulin resistance. What else? Well, I would say you have to be careful with just elevating IGF-1 in general. It's not selective to just muscle. Yeah, it could it can grow anything. Cancerous cells, cancers pretty much grows off of IGF one. That's why IGF one inhibitors are huge in cancer therapy. Yeah, so that's like a big one. The insulin resistance is a funny one. It's because some people experience it, some people don't. Carpal tunnel is a huge one because of aldosterone increases. You'll have a lot of water retention. And then, you know, you'll deal with some nerves that are getting compressed by that. Well, that can have an impact also on like cardiovascular health and, uh, yeah. Because every time you administer growth hormone, you have an aldosterone spike for almost seven days. So I think that's the thing too, I I guess, as we talk about, um, these side effects, letting people know that it's also like dose dependent, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, which is a given, but a lot of people don't consider that, you know, they're just like, oh, somebody said that they're taking growth hormone. Let me, you know, yeah. with that's really with that yeah. spike in aldosterone and spike in water retention. Would you also see an, a potential increase in blood pressure? So someone's I could see it. Yeah. Yeah. So someone's going to be higher blood pressure for long. Uh, always which... whenever uh, whenever water retention or Paul, put your mic close to your face. Plasma. No one can even hear your beautiful voice. Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, anytime there there's uh, an increase of water retention or like blood plasma, you know, that's always a risk is uh, the, the burden on your cardiovascular system, increase in blood pressure, kidneys, yeah. things like that. And then um, I'd say the cancer thing is way more prominent in direct IGF use compared to growth hormone use, but it still exists. Yeah, that's one I'm not super clear on. I mean, I just I haven't looked into a ton of like cancer research. I know that there is a relationship and that lowering IGF one lowers rate of growth. Yeah, lowers rate of growth. I don't know about growth hormone or IGF one necessarily. Well, I would think with any exogenous use of growth hormone, your body's going to hit a feedback loop threshold to where it's going to say enough, like you can only supply so much. So only so much is going to come out. Yeah. You know, as if you were directly using IGF one, it would be different because there's no, there's no conversion to that growth factor. Now you're just putting that growth factor directly. Yeah. I'd be curious on what, what the like blood concentration of, those individual of IGF one is in those individuals. Like, is it people in a disease state where like they have some um, astronomical number, you know, that would be hard to even get with like a standard typical bolus of growth hormone or um, is it something in the realm of like that something that can be produced from bodybuilding, you know, standard bodybuilding usage. Now, exiting the world or exiting the realm of exogenous use of growth hormone, what do you make of the hubbub surrounding kind of lifestyle factors that increase growth hormone levels? So intermittent fasting, you know, certain 
resistance training protocols that are going to increase serum growth hormone more than others. Are these elevations something that we should care about? Because the NSCA textbook still to this day talks about if you want to train in a way that increases growth hormone, you know, you want to choose compound movements, you want to choose higher intensities, higher volumes, and that's how you get your growth hormone to go up by 300, 500%. And on paper, you're like, oh my God, 300, 500%. That's, that's massive. But Paul, you said it's garbage. Why? Well, 300% of a really small number is still fucking nothing. <laughs> uh, so um, it really doesn't matter when it's a really tiny number. But also, like, yeah, it says that stuff in, this, in textbooks, but I think largely just because people have to know that there is data showing some kind of increase you know with certain styles of training or whatever but some of that data has issues too right like some early data i'm not going to say all of the data but i know some some of the data um like if you don't control for fluid shifts because fluid shifts when we train you know it goes into working tissues you lose some blood plasma like so sometimes those increases can be like artificial right the concentration oh, goes up because the pla like, there's less blood plasma. Like too fast huh? muscle biopsy. Like you're not letting well, like measuring blood blood yeah. levels. Yeah, I can see that. And so, uh, yeah, th things like that occur. But also, just a lot of times, like when when bodybuilders typically use, you know, PEDs, they're they're using super physiological doses and a lot of times within the realm of of physiological increases i'm not saying physiological increases can't ever be helpful but a lot of times they they just don't seem to be or the um improvement is negligible you know like taking somebody from a 500 nanograms of deciliter of testosterone to 600 700 800 probably doesn't cause a great impact. Maybe taking somebody from 300 to 800 or 300 to 1,000 does. Um, but yeah. When I when I look at those- Oh, quick go, thing. Go, 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 go. Um, and then the intermittent fasting stuff, like, well, one, you already sort of mentioned that growth hormone just isn't all that anabolic to uh, muscle, at least not within the physiological range and probably also not- um, without being paired with uh anabolic androgenic steroids and stuff but um the the problem is people are sort of they're like okay well so there's that whole flaw and then they're like if i don't eat i'll get a big increase <laughs> in growth hormone it's like okay well what do you need to grow food <laughs> Right. So like that, that's the big thing that brings me back to the original thing I said, where growth hormones like acute role is uh, in uh, substrate utilization just to help you in, in times where you don't have your food is absent, uh, freeing fatty acids to use as fuel and sparing your pro muscle pro or protein in general. We're going to play a game. We're going to go around the bend. And we're going to say the stupidest thing that we can possibly think of. I'll start. Fasting is anabolic. <laughs> Do I win? Yeah, I think you I win. win. You win. <laughs> Growth hormone elevations from training and fasting, I also see as issues of area under the curve. It's again, it's 
It's the fucking failure, training to failure conversation all over again. It's people looking at a very high magnitude instead of looking at area under the curve. People see a big spike and they're like, oh, sweet, like big spike. That must mean good. But with something like growth hormone, a big spike and then a precipitous drop off is is inconsequential because what happens with growth hormone is you need it elevated and then you need it to stay elevated for a significant period of time for it to exert its effects. See, and, and I'll, I'll piggyback off that. I think that, I think I know we're not getting into this, but I think that's where the training to failure thing doesn't come into context <laughs> with volume because it's, in my opinion, from a physiological standpoint, from a cellular standpoint, the longer a cell is signaled for duration, the better the stimulus is going to be. If that doesn't scream more volume or a- adequate volume, if that, that's where I have an issue with it. Damn, damn dude. We just took this Going and in. now we got to talk Going about in. failure for the next, no, 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 the next no, no, question. Fight. But that's just my uh, take on no. it. No, it's 100% correct. Like even with, same... even with growth hormone, like the longer duration we have an expression the better the stimulus, the better the communication between your cells is going to be. It's the, so, ar- it's the argument against branch chain amino acids too, because when you supplement with branch chain amino acids, you see a very large spike in muscle protein synthesis, but then you see that drop off because it's not enough to sustain that muscle protein synthesis response. It's the equivalent of getting in your car, putting it in, putting it in drive, slamming your foot down the gas and then letting go and being like, what the hell? Why isn't my car going 40, 50 miles per hour? So, because you have to keep your foot down for it to work. Same thing with growth hormone. Same thing with training stimulus. Same thing with amino acid, muscle protein synthesis. That kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Well, so what? That's a really good point because Thanks. a lot of people would probably say, <laughs> um, "Well, you're only you know to a bodybuilder that is using it, you're only injecting it once a day, two times a day, three times a day, or whatever." Oh. Um, and you know, you know, within uh number of hours it's it's sort of gone but it's a good point because you don't grow significant amounts of muscle in short periods of time right it takes a a lot of time uh but the thing about super physiological doses is is that you get a large spike in igf1 binding proteins and so you take that now super physiological dose of igf1 that is also now hopefully in your blood from the growth hormone dose and you extend the half-life of igf1 i can't remember if it's like 30 minutes or a couple hours or something like that that. um you extend it now to 16 to 36 hours i believe if i'm not mistaken it can range and so yeah that that's why exogenous growth hormone becomes a lot more useful than trying to fuck around with your own endogenous growth hormone you get that long steady release of igf1 over a long period of time anthony i don't want to leave you out do you have anything to add before we move on to the next question other than that you're just the most handsome fella i ever did see is it my is it my sunken in face it's just that it's just that you're my favorite son and everyone knows it and they're not afraid to show it yeah, let's uh, put that out there. <laughs> All right, let's hit our next question here. And I'm coming to Anthony first. He can't run for too long. Uh, next question comes from Sean Little, one of my favorite Instagram names out there, at what it do 17 Love it, Sean. Don't ever change that Instagram name. Uh, he says, which supplements are timing specific? 
So Anthony, right off the top of your head, what would you say are supplements that are timing specific or at least have some sort of timing element to them? Well, I mean, there's a lot of supplements like pre-workout, for example. Yeah, don't want to take that before bed. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think things like whey protein matter timing-wise. I don't Probably think... Not. Things like creatine matter timing wise. Well, uh, I'll let you go. I mean, I, I prefer to take it. I prefer to take it before my workout, but if I take it in the morning, like it's not going to affect my lift six hours later, you know, instead of taking it, you know, 30 minutes before my lift. Um, baby aspirin, take that before you work out, take that in the morning. Okay. When do you so, take your Viagra? Ten minutes pre-workout. <laughs> ten minutes pre-workout, yeah. He smashes it up in his intra-workout and just drinks it through the whole thing. Doesn't make it to the gym. Either. I don't know. I couldn't make it to the gym today. I was stuck at home for five hours. <laughs> I had to call my doctor because it lasted more than four hours. Yeah. Ethan's backstage at his qualifier show, and he goes, I just want you to know I'm backstage, and I have Viagra, so I'm ready. You, you're ready for what? What are you ready for? Yeah. He's ready for that pump. So one thing that I will say on creatine is that there is some research showing that absorption rates, absorption percentages, I think it is, um, can be actually dulled by caffeine intake. So taking creatine with caffeine um, can affect absorption. But I am somewhat in the camp of creatine is one of those things you can probably take any time of the day. Um Paul, don't get mad. Don't yell, dude. I can see you're you're getting upset. He's you can take I mean, it any I'm... time of the day because it doesn't do anything. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm, drinking, I'm drinking matters. my creatine with my coffee as we speak, so I'm doing it all wrong. What kind of asshole? <laughs> I haven't taken creatine in God knows how long. <laughs> so one thing, look how great you're doing. One thing that I do want to talk about here is like the difference between like pre-workout an intro workout and if timing really matters there because a lot of people they'll take their pre-workout supplements and mix it with their intro workout and then either drink all of that before training or drink all of it during training well is it really an intro workout if they drink it before they train <laughs> i don't know it has intro workout ingredients in it i guess it's like dextrose. there are probably some things to consider but i mean a lot of times when you consume something right it can take some time to get in the blood and it can remain in the blood for several hours so timing you know whether i think it probably isn't that important when it comes to pre-workouts and intra-workouts um how you do it as long as it's somewhere in that window and you're getting whatever perceived benefit you think you're getting out of it or whatever i mean there is a thing with caffeine like i believe there is some research showing that if you want the the i guess the maximum benefit ergogenic benefit aid from caffeine that you would consume it about an hour pre-workout but i mean dude i slam my pre-workout and i feel it five, three minutes later i'm like oh god i have to go take a shit i'm about to fucking <laughs> kick some doors down like uh but i think i mean even protein the timing for some things matters more than others like do you have to have protein like what immediately post-workout no but you probably shouldn't wait six hours to get your protein right so yeah. um, um there's some supplements though like 
like IP6 and acetyl mixed together, you have to take that on an empty stomach. You lose pretty much mm. all absorption if you don't. Um, oh, so like Yohimbine would there. be another that was, one. Uh, that, you just threw some advanced letters down there, Dom. You got to... IP6 you, is... A, is a, um, it's a it's a supplement that helps like it's a natural immune supplement it helps with um like cell toxicity there's some stuff uh with insulin sensitivity in ip6 yeah or am i wrong yeah and then it, it also has a phlebotic fl- fl- effect like it can lower hematocrit it can lower hemoglobin um i take it for that reason um but that the way it, the way we digest it it cannot be with other foods because it if it's if it's taken with food and there's iron present in the food, the iron will stop it from absorbing. So it's always there are a lot of minerals there's like a lot that of minerals too, like that. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of things you shouldn't take together, and then there's some things that you should take empty stomach, like yohimbian, because if you eat and you have elevated insulin levels, insulin competes for the receptor and wins. So Yohimbian is really not that effective at that point. And Yohimbian just, or insulin just stops any kind of lipolysis there is. So if you're taking, I wouldn't say uh, stops and like slows down, dulls, dulls, maybe. Yeah. If you are taking a multivitamin, you want to make sure that you're taking that with some food that contains some fat in it for your fat soluble vitamins there. Yeah. So, oh, oh, vitamin D3. That's one yeah, a lot of people take mainly wrong. vitamin D. They yeah. take it in the morning. You should be taking vitamin D three before bed with fats because your osteoblasts and osteoclasts, all your bone reformation happens while you're sleeping. So if you want to promote and help that the most, you take your vitamin D three before bed. You should be taking vitamin K two, MK seven, and MK four with it to even help more your body's bone reformation. Couldn't you? Couldn't well, you make the I think we have to also remember vitamin D is a fat soluble vitamin. The body is going to be able to store some of it, and timing probably doesn't matter as much. I would say, yeah, it that's supports, what I, I, in my opinion, I think it supports more. My opinion, yeah. you're a piece of shit. You're a fucking idiot. So, well, Broderick yeah. fucking taught me that. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, so yeah, I don't doubt that. Uh, there, there's maybe an optimal time to take it, and that time is at nighttime. But, you know, when it comes to vitamin D, uh, it's not something that, like, your blood levels of change rapidly, right? Like, if you have really high vitamin D and you get no vitamin D for a couple days, like, like it takes time to completely deplete a vitamin D. So, so it's probably still there um, when you're sleeping if you take it in the morning. I'm all about biohacking. I am biohacking. Oh. <laughs> this guy is our very own Leo and longevity over here. Paul, I'm very proud of you. You just mentioned not getting vitamin D for a couple days, and you didn't make one joke about not getting D for a couple days. Not a oh, single, not a single he didn't joke even think about it. Oh. He's like, oh, yeah, you can store up D. And I was like, oh, here it comes. Oh, here I we go. Up. Oh, like taking red yeast rice before bed is probably better for your cholesterol. Doing your soluble insoluble fiber before bed is better for your cholesterol. Um, Dom, will you write a supplement book for us? I have, and nothing. Nobody takes them. Nobody buys oh them. Oh my god, <laughs> people, come on, step it up. I made it free, uh, and people didn't even fucking download it. Okay, now that's now we got a problem. <laughs> if it's free and no one wants it, we got a problem. Because no one right, cares. Any other supplements dude. that they just you want can the think cool of? Shit. 
They just want the cool shit. You're not wrong. Any other supplements that are timing specific? I mean, dude, I can make a big list of. People make a big, big deal about like whey protein versus casein protein. I was just about to digesting, say that. slow digesting. It, the differences probably wash out over a 24 hour period. But if your strategy is to take casein protein for a more stable amino acid elevation while you sleep, magnesium okay. chloride is a good one to take pre workout. I just take casein before I go to bed because it makes me feel fuller. Yeah, that's one that's way a... to do it. You know, yeah. I, I have a theory on why casein makes you so full. It's because it tastes so disgusting. Every single casein protein powder is so what, thick. Which one you're using, man. So chalky and so gross. Well, I haven't taken casein protein since like 2013. So yeah. maybe maybe the science has evolved. Well, I, I use the dimatized one, and then I don't make a shake out of it. I make it into like a pudding. Oh. You just put a little bit of water in there. Like, God, that is so also, Put some muscle egg in there. Put some xanthan <laughs> no, no. gum, a little bit of pumpkin <laughs> puree, calorie-free Cool Whip, and all of a sudden, Anthony's got himself a three-pound Jello bowl every night before bed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Why does uh, my belly hurt so much? Uh, something I want to like, sort of. The, the usually there's a, a commonality, right? In that. The more short acting and the more timing dependent something is, like usually the the lesser the outcome, right? Like, why? You, you, but like, think about things like nitroglycerin. Like that would stop a heart attack. That's what I mean. Is is that going to get you huge? Wait, what? <laughs> like that would stop that would stop a heart attack if taken properly. But it's a really fast yeah. acting drug. No, I mean in terms of like muscle building oh. potential. <laughs> Yeah, I'm about, not talking about, about like saving Narcan. a life. <laughs> like, dog, don't give them that EpiPen. Skip, They're skip having the like Narcan. an allergic it won't reaction. Work fast enough. Just let them die. <laughs> so test no, suspension yeah. is not better than test in <laughs> It's not. <laughs> you, you're just. Are you gonna jab a shot of of test suspension every two hours all day? <laughs> Why not? Why not, brother? So yeah, we come back to our spike versus stable the ones that are long-term elevations again working a little bit better or exerting a more powerful noticeable effect over months and years all right on to our next question this is a question anthony you're not allowed to answer paul you're not allowed to answer this is only a question for dom (laughs) and we're gonna let dom talk for about 10 minutes straight and then we're going to move on to the next question. And the question comes from Sam Hansen. Sam asks, what are the benefits of BFR training specifically for my glutes? I added that second piece. You in. added that Just what are the benefits piece. of BFR training? I'm not answering this question. <laughs> what? I already talked about this many times. Re- recap what you put on your story. And then I have a funny story. Okay. I had a client who got hit by a car and her left leg was immobile or right leg. I don't know. One of the two. Um, she couldn't train, obviously. So her right leg shrank a bunch. Um, and when she got back into training, she was really scared to push weight on her leg, which is understandable. She got hit by a car. And then we implemented BFR training on her right leg only. Not both legs, <laughs> just her right leg. And we had to do all one-legged stuff. Really high... Uh, reps really close to failure, really low weight. So tension was super low 
because we obviously couldn't. One, psychologically, she was scared to. Two, the type of method for training is you're not using it on heavy loads. You're trying to accumulate a lot of fatigue, a lot of metabolites. So we use it for that. Long story short, it added a bunch of size back on her leg. And I like BFR training for people with injuries because I believe tension with adequate volume is way better for a muscle stimulus. Um, and then Paul taught me something about like high, uh, high fatigue motor units that like reaching those thresholds you can do with BFR training as well. But putting them on your thighs while doing deadlifts <laughs> does not help your glutes. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it. And what Paul was saying, is Paul frozen? Oh no, no. Paul's just, Paul's catatonic. He's not just frozen. barely alive, <laughs> barely no. hanging on. And Paul, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think what Paul was insinuating was that the accumulation of metabolites over the sets with BFR is what allows you to tap into those high threshold motor units. It's kind of like a shortcut to that fatigue so that you can then jump to those type two high threshold motor units, the ones that actually grow, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the occlusion keeps blood flow from leaving or as much blood flow. So those uh, metabolites accumulate. And since you're using a 20 to 30 RM, that could be like a 70 rep max, but that allows you to fatigue faster so that you can um, reach those high threshold motor units and say 20, 30, maybe sometimes 15 reps, a, a set or two in. Yeah. Um, so yeah. like we didn't do it with all her training. We just did it on accessory stuff, accessory stuff. And like leg pressing, we just made all one legged and right leg had the band on left leg didn't. And, uh, she would just change weight accordingly. And she responded really well to it. Her legs came back. Her leg came back up almost four inches. Damn. Yeah. How yeah. long? Uh, it was like 20 weeks. Okay. It was okay. a good amount of time, but yeah. it's still. It was like very, very, very noticeable, the difference between the two. Like Clark, for example, he has a, an eight-inch incision on his lat. And I think it even goes into his teres. So um, I, I don't know if there's any BFR training for backs, but I don't even know how you do that. But like yeah, if be, his injury was on his tricep, that. like the cut, that could be a good way to get him back into training. Um, which fun fact, he has a one lung. His SO2 stats are higher than before when he had two lungs. And he is breathing and breathing treatments, the highest he's ever done in his entire life. Wow. The, the body is a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's Adapts pretty crazy. very quickly. It's pretty crazy. Hey, doggy. Um, BFR is one of those things that, like, like you guys are saying, it, it has its place. It definitely has some effect. It absolutely can help you grow muscle, but the mechanisms by which it is causing that muscular growth are no different than kind of, or very similar in kind of what you're arriving at compared to what Dom outlined in a story, which was just kind of like higher load training, close proximity to failure. Like you're still going to get there with that higher load. Some, some considerations on BFR, some things that I've seen people do wrong is wrapping the cuffs too tight. What Paul said is a good point. Like you're supposed to be occluding venous blood flow, not arterial blood flow. So you still want the arteries to be able to supply blood 
you just want to decrease or diminish the amount of venous return. So you are getting a pooling of metabolites in there. Yeah, I think probably i really dislike when i see people use like knee wraps on their arms and the the they're like half their um, bicep is covered by I think like the knee wrap. Use these bands don't I even know that, what it's that called. could probably be a consideration <laughs> i would too. i would i would I, I could almost convince myself that they don't know what it's called <laughs> that's true I mean, I did train with somebody once that like used it, and, uh, and I started we were cranking that bitch up. Like the band should be, and he was <laughs> like, "Oh, I don't know. I just saw somebody do it. Somebody wrote it in my program, and so I just wrap my leg as hard as I can." I'm like, so "No, it's not how it's supposed Bell to be done." Slingshot wraps, and I just wrap them yeah. bitches tight. And there are two yeah. places that you want to wrap. There's gonna be right underneath the delt into like kind of the armpit area here, not on your arm itself, and then at the hip. You don't want to wrap at the elbow. You do not want to wrap at the knee. The arteries in those areas are a lot more sensitive and easier to occlude. Um, so you're going to notice that's very, very painful. And that's because you're not getting any blood flow there, which is not what you want to do. I haven't even actually have some seen funny somebody BFR in person stories. I have two funny BFR stories, like people that I've seen doing it. So I was doing it on my legs one day, and some guy asked me what it was, and I explained it oh, to so him. Oh, so you told him, yeah. He's like, do you think it could help me with my abs? And I was not a very nice person at the time, so I was like, hell yeah. I'm going to troll this guy. I was like, yeah, you wrap one at your sternum, and you wrap the other one like right above your penis. Those are the two you're, spots you're, you want to have you're, it. You're and you want to wrap them person. bitches tight and then crunch away. Yeah. And what do you know? He went... He went and got his knee wraps, and he wrapped himself up, looking like looking like a snowman in the gym. Yeah. The um, one thing I would probably add, and, and I'm, these aren't hard rules you have to follow. So not deficit deadlifts for single joint movements with, with minimal, um, minimal or lo, lower lower even the leg press not I had lower technique like complexity. Yeah, probably not even really um, that much leg press, and also you. Well, like another consideration for these multi-joint movements too is that like you're already creating such a, a robust like metabolic fatigue aspect that like do you also want to induce a lot of cardiovascular fatigue because you're going to be doing reps of 20 plus, you know? <laughs> like I've done BFR squats, back squats before and my legs chafed so bad from the wraps that like the inside of my thighs bled. I'm like, okay, nope, yeah. don't want to do this anymore. So I you tried used to have me do um, BFR training with like arms and stuff, but yeah, like, like it was usually to... it was usually during a time when it was like you're trying to accumulate like like Paul said, get those metab like metabolites without like heavy load. Um, you have a nagging pain or something like in your elbow. And you need to keep the form a little bit more like a rope press down or something like that with or overhead rope extension. Put some occlusion bands on if you're getting like nagging pain with the yeah, that's load the that whole you're point. using. But decrease the load and add the bands and yeah. you can get the same stimulus or more. Yeah, I think uh, you, you just brought something or reminded me it's probably best served at the end of your training, right? Like it's not something yeah. you want to yeah. do early in training because you're going to create so much fatigue. Um, because like what, what sort of things 
um, cause a lot of central nervous fatigue or nerves, nervous system fatigue, you know, really high reps, really short rest breaks, um, you know, taking things really, really close to failure. So if you do that early in training, you may be setting yourself up to not get very stimulative work after. Yeah. I think it was like in a week, it was like in a, like the last week of my program or something, I just had a really bad, like elbow, like epicondylitis going on or something like that. And you were like, yeah, throw a band on there and lighten a, lighten a load and just add like five reps. And Boom. yeah, he's still got, still got nasty pump though. Nasty but I don't, pump. I don't think that BFR should make up like the bulk of your training. I don't think like you should go to the gym and be like, all right, this is my BFR leg day. And you just have fucking bands on for everything. And that brings me to my next funny story. I trained, I trained at a gym here in Melbourne, and there was a guy here that used to train with BFR bands, and he wouldn't Smart. take them off for his entire workout. He would leave them on wow. for like 35, 40 minutes straight and do his entire arm workout. It's not good. But that's a huge – that's a really important thing for the people listening to consider is like – why would you make it a bulk of your workout, right? Like, or why would you preferentially do it? It hasn't shown to be better than traditional resistance training yet. It's just shown to be as good, but in short term and often not populations that are you. Um, so it's sort of one of those things where it's like, it has its place, but just, just make sure it fits, you know, like if you're in a crunch and you need to get your arm training in really fast, not the worst idea. There are other tools that you can use, but if you're injured or something for sure, um, it's, Maria it's talks about potatoes. using it. It's more yeah. like a sauce. Yeah. More like a Maria talks man. about using it in a PT. Because, oh, yeah. Physical PT. therapy. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. It's gotten so big in PT. I, I attended a talk where they even, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was several years ago where they had like uh, soldiers that had like literally were missing like pieces of their leg and, and muscle and stuff. And um, they would occlude their leg even without resistance training for a certain period of time until they could do resistance training with them. And, and it caused some some benefit um, even, even without the resistance training. But yeah, I mean, we just have to consider too that these uh, – these the 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 way that these things function and the research that has been done like it hasn't necessarily shown to be like and because the, the, one of the biggest limitations in research generally is how short research is right eight weeks 12 weeks 16 weeks or whatever and and uh that's a rarity to see a training study for 16 weeks long so like we don't know that, hey, like this could be something that does like work and work well, but maybe for only like four weeks, eight weeks, right? You know, because you do the thing about using training that creates a robust metabolic fatigue component or accumulation component so, is that you get better at dealing with those metabolites and clearing them. Is all the way up here. Yeah. The inferior is all the way in here. You cannot occlude these to help your butt. This is what you occlude. <laughs> Dude, I don't even know how you would do that. Well, I mean, how, maybe, I don't even know how. <laughs> maybe that's because you're not serious enough about your training. If you really wrap tight in that area. You so here, I, I guess this would there. be important to bring up that I told you guys. 
and, and it's a flawed sort of extrapolation to to try to transfer it to, to sumo deadlifts or whatever but there is some research showing that if you include the arms that the uh the triceps then fatigue more rapidly ma making the chest have to work harder but the thing is the movement that you're doing on doing that on the the muscle that you want to get the benefit has to be a prime mover right it can't share moving the load with a shit ton of other muscles I, yeah i don't see i don't see that being the case in like the bench press like including the arms to fatigue the triceps because there are portions of the movement that are very tricep heavy and there are portions of the movement that are very pec heavy if you yeah. include the arms you like just wouldn't be able you would get the weight off your chest but like just not be able to lock it out because your triceps are so fatigued it seems like it would make the movement really strange Potentially, I don't know. I've never done it. I just know that that's an aspect of research that's been looked at. It sounds completely silly to me. I I, I would never put that in my own training. But or like um, doing like pull ups with your arms occluded so that your biceps fatigue. Yeah. Well, and, and here's another thing too is that you know the sumo deadlift is, is a bad um, extrapolation from that because your glutes aren't necessarily even in the best position to be the most active. Like your glute max would probably, you know, like stiff leg deadlift might be a better option, but I, I, I don't know. It seems like a, a very poor transfer. That's just a poor application start to finish. BFR yeah. banding, a sumo deadlift to get more glute activation. It's just, yeah. it starts bad and it gets worse as, as you go <laughs> along and as you add in the layers, it just gets worse and worse and worse. All right, let's hit this last question here. It comes from Mr. Gilbert at Matt.Gilbert90. Matt asks, what's one thing you wish you knew before you started lifting? Mine is uh, that machines Who are wants very to effective. Kick us off? I know what mine is, but I'm going to save mine. Yeah, I wish I started with the Smith. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. I was a Smith machine hater. What else? That if I had put the amount of time that I put into this, into anything else, I'd probably be a billionaire right now. <laughs> there you go. That's a good one. Go do something else with your life. <laughs> Anthony? Um, let's see. When I started lifting, I was 11 oh, oh. and it was for wrestling. So I think I would have liked, if I could go back in time, I think I would have trained with a little bit more, uh, technique, a little bit better technique and maybe focus more on that instead of like just moving it from point A to point B. I wish somebody had told me how easy bodybuilding was, right? In terms of like, you eat your food, you get your sleep, you lift your weights, and then you don't think about it the rest of the fucking day. You know, you get your sleep. Yeah, I, I said that. So yeah, that's it, man. You, and uh, yeah, I, think I think a, a, lot, of a lot of people over, just don't it. treat like, it that go way the until they burn themselves out. Meal back they have to learn that the hard way. To. Like you can do those. It's okay. Everything I promise to God, everything's gonna be fine. <laughs> but like that's like one of the things. Like um, 
like it's not. It is um, not. Ian no, Valier was talking about on Fouad's podcast. They were talking about like how looking back and everything, they wish they didn't take it as neurotic, as regimented. Because like he's like, Yeah, there'd be times Melissa would be like, Do you want to go shop? Do you want to go do this? And then he would be getting anxious about, oh, I gotta pack my meals and bring them with me. But like now he's like, yeah, it's fine if my meal's in four hours instead of two. Like I'll be okay. Um, which I think is a good good thing to teach younger guys and girls, even guys and girls now. Yeah, unless you're unless you're five and a half weeks out, then you have to eat. Yeah, at that that's time. definitely. Maybe, maybe Ian at just didn't time. want to go shopping. Maybe he was just like, oh, I don't fucking want to go shopping. It sounds terrible. I mean, yeah, dude, I that's how I was. I have clients. I have like twenty-three-year-old clients and stuff that like will just randomly hit me up in a panic-like state, dude, because they they've just taken this so seriously and they're burnt out and they're like, what if I just want to have a meal out with my girlfriend? I'm like, then go fucking do that, dude. I never fucking said you could never do that. Yeah, like I had uh, who told you you can't do that. And I was like, what are you worried about? I was like, you you're know? a loser if you take so, a word like, to Thanksgiving. Like, just eat. Like, you, dude, if you're on a... Sorry, Anthony. <laughs> if, if, <laughs> if you're... He's impressed. I would. I would tell them now. I would tell you them you're fucking impressed. loser, Anthony. <laughs> no, hold on. I, I have so, a story for you. Go. But regardless, if you're on plan, if you're doing, I have a story for you. Enjoy. Yeah, just eat as much as you you're, want. You've Anthony. been on this regimen for so long. You're just consciously going to make healthier ch- options. Like the majority of people will just pick the meats and stuff rather than just go all out. But then some people just go all out. But there's nothing wrong with it. Um, a lot of so, the people that go all out just they they've been too regimented and strict for too long and so then they just lose it you know yeah so piggybacking off of that the first time well when i signed up with ryan it was like right before thanksgiving 2017 so it was like we first started working together and he gave me my macros and everything so uh but before that i was on a six ounce tilapia something uh, grams of sweet potato and something grams of asparagus for six months before my show. So four meals of tilapia, same thing. And then breakfast was eggs, egg whites and oatmeal. And tilapia. (laughs) (laughs) So I was doing that for six, seven months straight. And then finally I hired Ryan and he gave me macros and uh, I brought my scale to Thanksgiving. And my family was like, what, what are you doing? I'm like, I started a new diet or whatever. But I think a lot of clients, when they first sign up, they think, oh, I'm starting a new diet. And then I, I have to say, stay super strict on this and I can't do anything else that's off. Um, but in, instead of thinking of like, okay, I'm making a lifestyle change. So the majority of my meals, yeah, yeah. the majority of my days, I'm sticking to these macros. But if I want to go out, like Friday i think it's fine if somebody doesn't want to eat on things like you should be able to do that too. Eat on it's, a holiday it's more of a lifestyle that. like that's change. cool that if that floats your boat that's kind of mentality you going, then. go ahead but there's a difference you're consciously making that choice or you feel restricted regimented against that choice there's a big difference between the two you can make the choice to stay on plan which is completely fine but if you yeah. feel forced yeah. you feel that you're forcing yourself to stay on plan that that is wrong to do that's where the issue is. 
Yeah, like if it gives you anxiety. I think so. I'm going to answer this question from a, what's one thing you wish you knew before you started bodybuilding, like being a competitive bodybuilder. And I wish that I knew that it was going to end someday. Like I wish I knew that one day, like bodybuilding for me personally, me competing in bodybuilding, this is not, this has nothing to do with coaching, but I wish I knew that like my passion for competing myself in bodybuilding was eventually going to run out one day because I would have enjoyed it a lot more. And I think that a lot of people, when they get into the sport, they think I'm going to do this forever. And bodybuilding is not a sport that you do forever. So really, really enjoy. I remember like looking back on my first prep, I enjoyed my first prep so much. And then I had so much anxiety about every contest prep and every improvement season from that point on. And I just stopped. I just forgot to stop and, and smell the roses and enjoy the fact that like, I'm getting to do something that I really love here. Like this is a super, super enjoyable thing that I'm very passionate about. Don't stress so much about it. Just like take a step back and enjoy it because one day, you know, you're going to want to start a family or you're going to get a job where you don't have the hours anymore, or you're going to be passionate about some other physical fitness aspect. Like enjoy it while you're in it, because it's going to be some of the better years of your life. And you're going to look back on it and be like, wow, like, that was a lot of fun. Like I met a lot of cool people and, and I had a lot yeah. of, a lot of fun along the way. That's the same way I think about like wrestling in high school and in college. Like I took it for granted. I tore my ACL first time and I was like, holy shit, I, I'm not, I haven't been on the mat in eight months. I just want to be back on the mat. And I was kind of like right beforehand, kind of like, oh, man, wrestling is like, it's just like it's so tedious. And like, you got to go in and work hard every day and whatever. But like, you tear your ACL, then you come back and you're like, all right, I'm going to make this fucking year the best year of my career, you know? So, and I just kind of like went balls to the wall on that. But, uh, yeah, you take it for granted when you're, when you're like suffering in a diet or you're, um, you know, working out twice, three times a day and people are like, Hey, let's do this. And you're like, no, nah, man, I got to train. No, nah, man, I got to, you know, go on a run, you know, that kind of thing. So. But, you know, you lose a lot of friends, too, when you, when you like, shut people out. You're like, I can't do this. I can't do this for, like, six months. I can't go out. You yeah. lose a lot of friends that way. But, like, it, the, the ones who, like, kind of, like, support and understand, they'll still be there at the end. But they're like, it's okay, man. Like, we know you were dieting. It's all right. But, uh, you know, like, you don't have to just, like, ignore my phone calls and text. <laughs> I was probably mad at somebody about something. Dom, but... I think you made, a, you made a post, a story, or you were answering, like, an AMA or something about. <laughs> you made some, some, it was about, like, competing in bodybuilding. And you were, you said something about, you know, like, means to an end. Like, I know it's going to come to an end one day like i know i'm not going to be doing this i'm not going to be competing in bodybuilding forever so i'm enjoying it or something and i was like yeah oh, that's something i try to that's tell a mentality everyone of my level clients. Of maturity that i wish even the ones I that i think will have good pro careers old. you know but like i always tell what them they ain't gonna pay any of your bills bro no your your thousand dollar check you get when you win your show guess what it paid for your no. flight yeah, there it's gonna be it's gonna be a bill <laughs> you you got to enjoy yep. it, man. You got to enjoy it because as you get older, it becomes less and less important. Like you start to realize what's really important and you start to realize that no one cares how yoked you are or what you placed at your last show or even if you're a pro, you know? Yeah. 
I can I can definitely agree with that. I used to, you know, when I when I would have someone that I think was like super obsessed with like bodybuilding, I'd be like, you like, like walk down the street and ask the first ten people that you meet if they know who Mamdu Asselby, <laughs> Big Ramy is, and they'll be like, who the fuck? I think that was the I was gonna say something really bad there, but I did not. Oh yeah, ask them if they know who Big Ramy is, and they won't because bodybuilding is such a small small niche. Powerlifting, same yeah. thing. Weightlifting, same thing. CrossFit, same thing. Like people in the real world doing real world shit. Like, yeah, um, they don't. Care. I heard listen to Dorian talk about it. Like after he retired, like this was recent, and he's like, you know, in the grand scheme of things, like in the whole universe, bodybuilding is like this much of life. There's so much more shit that, that like there is to worry about. Um, and I think I think enjoy. it's like, I think that it's like this much don't take it so serious more and directed then, uh, towards competitive bodybuilding yeah I think you can live the lifestyle and do all that for a lot longer than being a yeah, competitive sure. bodybuilder is yeah. yeah but a lot of people try to keep pushing yeah. that threshold of staying competitive well, that lifestyle for where, as long as you in want my to. opinion right I think this I don't think I don't believe the stage validates a bodybuilder. I think there's a there is a clear distinction between who likes to bodybuild and who's a competitive bodybuilder. And like, you know, guy like somebody like Jordan Peters who is huge. Like he's the epitome of fucking bodybuilding. But he doesn't compete often. And he doesn't compete because he knows he pushed his body too far. You know, and he just can't achieve a look that he feels presentable to stage, but he still continues to do everything a bodybuilder does, you know, and like James Hollingshed talks about it too. Like, you know, like the stage is the end is just like the cherry on top of his bodybuilding, you know, cake. Like he, you don't always need it, but you could still continue to do everything. Yeah. How, well, I mean, how much of that know, do you think is driven by like bodybuilding gatekeeping and elitism of like the people who actually do compete and they're like, oh, you're not a full bodybuilder unless you get on stage. 100% dude. Cause I, you know, I started lifting not to compete. I just wanted to be big. Right. And, uh, so I, I literally, it took me like a decade before I finally, I was like, yeah, I'll do a show. But there were definitely people along the way that were like, yeah, you're getting pretty big. When are you going to put it on stage? When are you going to put it on stage? I'm like, I really enjoy making progress. You know, that's what I love about this is, is moving forward, getting stronger, getting bigger. I'm like it doesn't really like fit into that. That's not helping that, you know? So um, I probably will compete again, but this is the aspect of competing for me is largely, relating to my my current career and like just learning more in that aspect and becoming better there like other than that i have zero like competitive aspirant like if i did not work as a coach i would never compete but you're you're just a guy that loves you you love the training so like when yeah. you got on stage for the first time and everyone was like oh my god it's your first time competing like you're so huge dude like such an advanced physique for a first time competitor that spoke more to the fact that you had spent so much time like loving training and focusing yeah. on the training and much less on the competing where other people have it flipped 
they love the competition and the intention driven around competing. They don't love so much the training and year after year, they look the same or they, they end up looking worse. They get then burnt out on the sport and then they're out. Well, if you, yeah. if you listen to like Lee priest, he still trains. He, he only got on stage because it's like, okay, well I'm lifting all the time. I'm enjoying my training. I might as well do something with it and let's see what it looked like on stage. Right. But insane um, is what he looked like. Yeah. <laughs> and like when I was wrestling, like even when I was done wrestling in college, I still went to the gym every day just cause I, I had, I felt like I had to work out. Like I have to train and I love the, 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 you know, the training aspect of it and pushing yourself. Um, but then it became like, okay, well, I'm going to the gym every day. Like I might as well like show it off. You know, I've gained some muscle. Like I'm, I might as well try to you know, compete in something. Cause I always felt competitive even with wrestling. So it's like, if I'm done with wrestling and I don't have anything to compete in, but I still, I'm still going to the gym every day. Like why not do powerlifting, bodybuilding, something else, you know? So I would agree with that. Need that you have that athletic mindset where you need that competitive competitive outlet. Well, a lot of people are in it now just because they're like a social media competitor. Like they, okay, everyone else is competing. Uh, I just want to do my first show. I just started training three months ago, uh, so uh, I guess this is what I should do. I should get on stage after after lifting for three months. Yeah, just because that's the cool thing to do. That's the like, cool hey, thing. Hey, you to know, do, I just so. picked up a basketball for the first time. <laughs> I'm gonna sign up for the local like competitive yeah. like five on five league or three on three league and then you're getting fucking and you're getting windmill jammed on you're like oh i hate basketball it's, it's basketball's fault well it's funny to me because like i had a totally different um perception like i thought bodybuilders look cool i wanted to look like a bodybuilder i was like dude that you look you're huge you know like grew up looking up to like arnold schwarzenegger and stuff but i didn't start lifting until i was like 18 or 19 but when i first started lifting i was like yeah i want to get huge but no way in fucking hell do i want to stand on a stage with a bunch of people in a thong i was like that looks ridiculous that's stupid i'm never doing that that was like my first thought like <laughs> so you can judge how much someone actually likes training versus bodybuilding by how much they enjoy their posing routine if people hate the posing routine that means that they're someone who just loves the training and the performative That's aspect me. of bodybuilding i don't even pick a song so much, i would uh, tell the dj so play whatever you want <laughs> I <laughs> I didn't even have a routine. <laughs> Anthony's I like, oh no, I love my posing routine. Well, sometimes the there are exceptions like, to the rule. It's not it's not even scored, so it's not that it really matters. What I what I care more about is the mandatory poses. That's where I practice mostly. I do sort of feel like that's what uh, gets scored. I wish I did kind of work on a routine though because i sure did feel like an asshole um <laughs> during that that por portion of the <laughs> that that's definitely a video i don't show people um <laughs> i think there's a there's a it's like it's like the difference between people that think uh bodybuilding is an art and then bodybuilding is a sport so the sport part of it is the training and not just going in doing like a couple sets of 20 and then going in the posing room for three hours that kind of thing yeah. like you know what I mean? Do your training. If you want to do a little posing routine afterwards, you know, take a couple minutes, but don't spend three hours in the posing room and 20 minutes in the gym. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, people people can enjoy and think bodybuilding is whatever they think it is. I, I just like training and getting bigger, dude. Like <laughs> when I won Florida know? State, there was a lady in the crowd who was like, uh, she came up to her and she was like, "Man, like I think the judges would score you even higher if like if you spent like more time on your posing routine." And, and it's not like, even judge it to you, but I spent a grand total of no time on my posing routine. So it's so you're maybe right. next. <laughs> Maybe Just, next time uh, around, yeah, I'll put 60 judged. seconds into planning it. Yeah. Unless you're getting like a posing award of $10,000 at the Arnold. Like, yeah. who cares? Ian Valier is like, okay, let me see how many most muscular That's Nick Walker. I can walk on stage. Just walk inside the side. Just hit three times. And then I'll hit I watched one back a pose video. And get off the stage. Dude. Hey, yeah. dude. We should celebrate the fact that Nick Walker of... can still walk. So he's, yeah. he's doing more than we expected. I saw a video once of Ian Valier who went on during his posing routine and just hit all the mandatories, like front relax, quarter turn, like just hit his fucking mandatories. Like a G. <laughs> all right, folks, that is going to bring us to our conclusion today on this Q&A episode. Everyone that is here right now, guys, take a second to pat yourself on the back. It's the first time in a long time that we have covered four total reach. questions. We can all agree that it's because we didn't have Jay here mucking up our time and rambling to no end and making jokes about how he's old and all that stuff. Just kidding, Jay. We'll see you on the next one. We miss you dearly, sir. Um, all our viewers, you know, do the YouTube stuff, like, comment, subscribe. Really helps us grow the channel and reach more people with this fantastic content. We will see you on the next one. We love you. And as always, stay gifted. Bye.